welcome. This podcast is hosted by Vera Bhava Yoga and explores our understanding of yoga and its relationship to resilience. If you like exploring with us, use coupon code PODCAST2022 at virabhavayoga.com to receive 15% off of all Virabhava products and programming. I am your host, Kelly Golden, and I'm a writer, a yoga teacher, a dedicated practitioner, exhaustive thinker, and the founder of Virabhava Yoga School. I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. My primary focus is Sri Vidya Tantra and the ways that yoga can be directly applied to our lives in all situations. This season will continue to follow my exploration of just that, both my successes and my failures, as well as feature conversations with fellow practitioners, teachers, and humans living resilience as their yoga. Through contemplation, wondering, conversation, and experience, we will explore resilience as synonymous with the path and practice of yoga. Our conversations will unpack the points of crossover, the similarities of experience, and the ways that both practices support arriving whole and alive in the midst of wherever we find ourselves, be it hardship and challenge or joy and pleasure. Many of these conversations are hosted monthly as free live classes that also include an accompanying asana practice. Visit our website to learn more and to participate if you would like to explore studying with us more deeply. Check out our online Tantra yoga and meditation programs at virabhavayoga.com. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey friends, in this episode, I dig into the reality that resilience is a journey, not a destination. And on this journey, we are called to be the heroes of our own story a story which is always changing, evolving, and shifting right beneath our feet. In this episode, we explore the path of a hero, which is the embodiment of resilience, the path of forgetting and remembering and unpacking the possibility that real resilience comes from recognizing and reclaiming our essential power We also talk about the nature of the hero who fights for something bigger than themselves and chooses to arrive into the challenges, difficulties, and experiences right where they're at in all their mess and that the heroes choose their weapons wisely. In this episode, we imagine that we are the heroes of our own story of resilience and turn our complications and complexities into explorations that bring us directly to the crossroads of our own potential. Okay, um, I wanna talk about how resilience is a hero's journey. And it's a personal talk for me. And it's a, it's a way to weave in the mythology of what, what Swati's gonna be sharing in her upcoming workshop and I'm sure what she'll share on her map today. Um, when you Practice and study Shakti Tantra, specifically what we do here is Sri Vidya, it's a goddess-centric practice, right? And what I want to say about that is um, what the goddess is can be as individual to you as you are, right? So um, the, the history of Tantra and the history of Hindu Tantra specifically has very 
um, specific and, and beautiful iconography for this goddess energy, but there's goddesses everywhere all the time doing everything. Um, and, and the Hindu tantrics call it one thing or, or a multiple things, 333,000 things. Um, and maybe your tradition calls it something else, but I think that the essence of the goddess energy is probably, um, very similar, no matter the tradition in, um, more traditional Christianity, you have to dig a little deeper, but you know what? They're there. Do not turn a blind eye to the goddesses in the Christian tradition, even though they've tried to hide them because they are there. I have Guadalupe on my altar. Like they are there. You got to find the mothers, but they're there. So when you practice Shakti Tantra, you practice with the mother. Like that's the idea with the mothers and the sisters and the wives uh, and the lovers, uh, you're practicing with these energies. So joining me here today, you guys already know this probably, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, this is Vera Bhava Yoga. And Vera is a word that means hero um, or warrior. I, want, I don't want to say or, hero and warrior. I'm not sure that you can be a hero without being a warrior, and I'm not sure you can be a warrior, like really, without being a hero. And so, this Vera Bhav, and that's the essence of a thing, This the essence of being a warrior or a hero is what it takes to be a tantric. Right? It's really challenging to be to study tantra without having the the courage and the heart and the passion and the willingness and the it's called itcha shakti, like the willpower and determination of, of what it takes to, to work with this shakti energy, this feminine principle of existence. So studying tantra is a hero's journey because you're constantly trying to navigate the challenges as they present themselves. And it's also the experience of what it's like to be a hero in your life, right? And we use the tools of yoga and the tools of Tantra to start to reframe the way we show up in our lives so that it is a journey, right? So I've been talking a lot. The last, the last couple of resilience classes, I think we've been talking about um, what it means to really practice yoga. Like it's a long game. It's not something you do and and... I've been contemplating this a lot recently. We have a lot of people that come to yoga thinking it's going to fix their lives or solve all their problems, right? And, and here's what I'll say is like, there's reason that you feel that way because you get on your yoga mat and you access these powerful um, energies just by shaping and moving your body and breathing in certain ways that maybe you have not accessed in your in your life before, or maybe you've only scratched the surface of, then you get on your yoga mat and it makes you come alive in a new way. It gives you access to power that you didn't know you have. It gives you a glimpse into, into what's more. And that glimpse into what's more and that glimpse into that power often makes us think we can solve all our problems and fix everything that's broken. And so that glimpse gives us a false sense that the purpose of yoga is to fix or to perfect, right? 
if you've, if you've hung out in the last few resilience classes, you know, I mean, or if you've read anything on beerbobbyyoga.com, you know that's not the game, right? And that's one of the things that makes the practice of Tantra, the, the experience of resilience, the tools of yoga, the, the, the connection with the goddesses, it's, it's what makes it a hero's journey. It's because you are constantly walking the path of challenge, of disappointment, of dismay. You are ch- constantly taking risks without any uh, guarantee of safety or reward. You are constantly choosing to step towards uncertainty uh, because that's the journey. And what makes you the Virabhav, what makes you the hero, is the choice that you make to keep moving forward no matter what. And this is what you know and what I know already, is it doesn't matter how much you think you have control over a situation. You don't. You don't ultimately have any control over the situation. And oftentimes the, the attempt to fix or to solve or to get to the end actually just generates more difficulty for you than it does liberation, right? You don't feel any better by trying to fix anything <clears throat> because there is no fix. There is no end game, right? So the willingness to, to take the journey is the point. Like that's why we live is to walk this path, to take this journey. And that's what these Um, beautiful representations of divinity show us is the living is the point and it manifests in all kinds of different ways with different qualities and different characteristics and it's our job to be living so deeply in our lives that we start to recognize and discover those qualities and characteristics in ourselves that's why all the beautiful adorned aspects of, of the goddess and all of the powerful and ferocious and, and all of the, you know, scantily clad uh, Shivas and, and Vishnus, like they're all, they're all to show us that this beauty and this strength and this power and this wildness and this chaos and this potential is inside of us, right? Swati said that yesterday and it like, oh man, um, it it banged my gong in such a big way. She said, the goddesses aren't something you pray to to get something from. The goddesses just exist. And it's our job being given the gift and opportunity to live in this existence to start seeing the existence of these divine forms everywhere all around us. And when you do that, it's, it's, it's a perspective switch. It's a, it's a pivot in the way you see the world. But when you do that, then the bounty or the boons or the powers of the Shakti start to be more evident to you. So it feels like you get something, but you're not receiving anything you didn't already have before. Maybe you just didn't realize that you had it. Yeah. In yoga, the gods and goddesses represent the myriad aspects of ourselves. So there's a teacher of Tantra that I really love, and he says that you're every character in the story. 
right? So you're every goddess on the altar. You're every, you're the demons. Uh, you're the, you're the ambrosia. You're the, you're the soma, the nectar. Uh, you're the fire. You're the weapons. You're literally every character in the story, right? So if you've read the Bhagavad Gita, the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, um, Arjuna is, is being, uh, reluctantly driven to the battlefield and he's he takes a moment and he stands and he looks out onto the battlefield at all of the people that he's about to have to fight and he starts naming them and he names their weapons and he names their connections to his family and he's doing that to show us how complex we are because every person that he names, every brother, every cousin, every nephew, every neighbor, every weapon, every conch, every bow, everything that he names, it's an aspect of who we are. And the, the metaphoric richness in understanding ourselves is right here all the time when we work with goddess energy. But it's, it's poetic, it's not literal. And, and I don't want to say it's not scientific because I think it is, but that's just me. But it's not linear. And often when things are not linear or easily trackable, we reject them. We, we eject them from being available to us because we can't figure, we can't see how to get there. But the path of being alive, the hero's journey is not a linear journey. Every hero is sent on all kinds of spur journeys where they have to battle unexpected demons or they get enamored with some sort of beautiful singing goddesses. Like every piece of the journey is a piece of the journey. It's not just a distraction off your path. If you're practicing Shakta Tantra, you are literally never off your path. Literally never. Every side trail, every disappointment, every frustration, every setback is literally a step on your path. I've got a, um, Victoria's here, so I'm about to embarrass myself because I'm going to read a quote that's, I've been, this is using as a mantra recently, but it's in Spanish, so watch me get it wrong. <clears throat> Caminante, no hay camino, se hace camino al andar, al andar se hace el camino. It's a quote uh, from a poem by Antonio Machado, and it means you make the path by walking. The walker does not make the path, you make the path by walking. So, that's the nature of Tantra. You make the path by walking. The path is not laid out before you. Exactly. <laughs> There's definitely a map, according to Tantra. But then how you choose to walk on that map, that is the path that is made for you. It is the path that is made by you. There is no path. You make the path by walking. So here's the beautiful part about how this works in the hero's journey. 
if you know that you're the hero in your story, then that is your source of resilience. And there is no step that you take that doesn't lead you exactly where you're going. You make the path by walking, so therefore you are arriving exactly where you are meant to be doing your work and your practice and your reflection with every step. I'll tell you a personal story and then I'll um and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the goddesses and then I'm going to hand it over to Swati. <clears throat> um first let me say this that that part of the hero's journey and part of the path of resilience is it you're only resilient when you're met with challenge. Do you know this? Without challenge you are not you, you don't have access to resilience. Resilience is the result of living into the challenges and the risks and the mistakes and the failures and the frustrations. Like resilience is what results when the choice is made to live with what you're offered and not change it. And here's the, the, the paradox of that. The tantra of that is just by living with what you're altered, guess what you're, what you're offered? Guess what you're doing? You're changing it. It's, it's just like, watch your breath. Don't do anything to change it. Just watch it and watch it change. You can't stop the things from changing. But you don't have any control over the change. So learning to be resilient is living into what is so that change emerges from that authentic place of integrity within you being in relationship with what you're offered. Right? And when we're trying to make it something different, something other than it is, or we're trying to make ourselves something other than we are, then the path, we're still making our path by walking it, and we're making it mostly harder because we're often rejecting what's offered rather than choosing to live into it. So... um 15 years ago, that was a long time ago, 15 years, 16 years ago, I decided I wanted to take a long walk across the north of Spain. So from France uh, to the coast. It's not the first time it's been walked. Matter of fact, it's been walked for thousands of years. It's a, it's a sacred pilgrimage. It's called the Camino de Santiago, and you follow a path. Uh, and you walk approximately a little bit more than 500 miles from France to Spain. And 15 years ago, I decided I wanted to do this. I've read all kinds of books about it. I've dreamed about it, literally. I've talked about it for years and years and years. And I leave on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, to, to start this walk. And I've been making this path for 15 years, but not until I realized it. So though, though I think I'm just starting the, the walk on Wednesday, I won't start walking on Wednesday, but though, though, the, though the path starts on Wednesday, it's actually started 15 years ago. 
But our worlds collapse so much and so quickly into just what's right now and what we think that we need to do and what we've disappointed or frustrated that we didn't do when we had the chance or whatever, that, that we think that it's easy to think that I'm starting the walk on Wednesday. When the truth is I've been walking it for 15 years and every step I took from the moment I decided I wanted to do this until the moment I actually put foot on the ground in Spain, every step has been this path to doing this thing. So the hero's journey in your life probably extends back as far as you can reach if you dare look. You've probably been unweaving and unfolding and reweaving and reclaiming pieces of your truth and your path all along. You've never stopped. It never, ever stops. You lose someone, you're still on your path. Someone breaks your heart, you're still on your path. You have a child, you're still on your path. Your child moves out, you're still on your path. You change your job, you're still on your path. You move locations, you're still on your path. There's nothing that makes you come off your path no matter what. There are no missed opportunities. Period. The goddesses, specifically all of the deities, but because we're Shakta Tantra, our focus is on, is on the feminine divinity aspect. They're simply maps. And I don't know, I know Amber just wrote, Amber that's on the call, if you guys don't know her, she, she and her husband just wrote a, a book. It's an Appalachian Trail hiking guide. It's a guidebook for, for the AT. And I'm taking a guidebook for the Camino. And it's got all kinds of maps in it. And that right there behind me, do you see it? It's a map. And if you look out the door right there, there's there. It's a guidebook. That's what these things are. They're maps and guidebooks to understanding how to live our lives from that place of power and sweetness and juice and divinity. And sure, you can definitely find the the you know the true believers of, of Shakta Tantra who thinks that, you know, you're gonna walk into you're gonna you're gonna encounter Lakshmi on the path. And that might be true if that's how you believe. Right? And no matter what, she will only, if you encounter Lakshmi on the path, on the walking path by the river, then all she's going to do is give you guidance. She will not fix your life. She will not solve your problems. She is literally just a guide. So you can follow the map and you can follow the guide and you are still on your path. And you are still the one making your choices. And you are still the hero in your journey. And your journey is your experience of resilience. 
And it's never stopped. It's always been happening. And everywhere you've been is what got you here. You can get on any path and take a different road. You have that power. You can go off the trail. You can go over the ridge. You can bury down into the ground. Of course, it's going to be fraught with dangers and unknown circumstances, but there's at any point you can change your map. And probably you can't change it to be a different map. If you're walking the Appalachian Trail and you decide to forge your own path, it's going to be very, very challenging to turn the Appalachian Trail into the Pacific Crest Trail just because you're determined to do it. Yes. (laughs) So you can't, you can change your orientation on the map. You can take the advice of your guide or not, but most likely you can't change, you cannot change the time period you live in. You cannot change the culture that you brought you up. Like that is where you come from. That is where you anchor yourself in history and time. But how you choose to utilize that, that's what these maps and these guides can help us understand. We are... Incredibly complex creatures. According to the tantric teacher, all 333,000 communicated aspects of divinity that are known and many, many, many more that are not known or not well known, they're all just aspects of you. So complexity is the point. Tantra differs in that way. We're not a, we're not a strategy of trying to simplify or reduce everything. Instead, we're trying to recognize and honor the complexity. And resilience is recognizing and honoring the complexity and then trying to figure out what to do with it. We live in an entropic universe. Things are just getting more and more complex. Have you noticed? More and more complex. And that that complexity generates complication. And that's also not abnormal resilience makes our complications and our complexities explorations rather than damnations so think about that think if you can make your complexities and your complications places to explore rather than destinations to solve or complete or get to the end of think of how You live into where you find yourself rather than try to solve them all as problems. That isn't Shakta Tantra. Solving the problem is more like Raja Yoga, right? And there, so there are paths for that if that's what you need. There are ways to look at the world through the lens of solving your problems. It's not the Shakta Tantra path. There's not, it's not the path of reduction. It's the path of more. So, resilience arms us up with the powers of perspective and choice. 
It allows us to get really real that we're on the map. It allows us to pull out our guidebook and then use all of that information to make choices for what's right for us. To dance with our own complexities, right? So if you're on the path, if your map is taking you up the mountain and you have a choice, whether you go halfway up the mountain to a beautiful lake or you go all the way up the mountain to a very narrow peak and the map gives you guides to both ways and the guides tell you, there it is. See, that's the guide back there in the hallway. The guides tell you how, how it's going to look or how it's going to feel or gives you, fills in some of the blanks. Then ultimately you still get to choose what's right for you. If you're afraid of heights, this might not be your place, but maybe it is. If you're really pushing the limits of that. If you want to see the crystal blue water, then maybe the lake is your choice. But the map will stay the same. The peak and the lake will exist no matter what you choose. The guide will stay the same. And we'll try to meet you where you are to help you determine what's best for you. But ultimately, it's your choice. So the powers that you hold in the practice of Tantra are the powers of perspective and choice. And when you feel stuck, it's a perspective and it's an invitation. Sometimes being stuck is exactly the perspective you need. Sometimes we move so fast that getting stuck is the only way we'll pause and look around. The only moment when we'll orient ourselves on the map is when we're stuck. And as uncomfortable as it feels, it might be necessary. Perspective is important and often it's a completely overlooked aspect of what it means to make choice. When you can generate perspective, and their powers, shaktis, when you can generate perspective and choice, then every crossroad that you come to holds potential. And no matter how much you know about what lies ahead, the potential remains mostly unknown. So it requires you to engage with what lies ahead in a really different way. My friend, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget to say it, but I have a friend who, who says that, oh, here it is. You can only prepare, if you're, if you're embarking on a journey, you really can only prepare for so much. And it's the things that you can't prepare for that will totally derail you and completely transform you. So you can prepare. I'm so prepared. I'm about to walk out with a backpack on my back for 500 miles. I am so prepared and I cannot in any way, shape or form be prepared for the things that will transform me. There is no way to predict that because 99% mystery, 1% preparation. And the 1% is necessary. It anchors you. It generates trust and confidence. 
It's you gathering your tools, but then how do you open to all that is unknown? And that's what the goddesses tell us. There are, there are toolboxes. I, I say this, I, get, I have this like beautiful office space where I have like a goddess right over my desk and I have a goddess right over there and a goddess out in the hallway and I have a, a, another goddess behind me. And, and when, I, when you think about it, when you look at these images, they're, they're, they're overflowing with tools. And the ways that we have the opportunity to work with them is to go in and toward the understanding of what the tools represent and then tune into how they resonate inside. And then you'll know how each tool works for you. To work with Shakta Tantra, we unravel this self and other, this dualistic understanding of divinity. And instead, uh, we rip our hearts open and find her inside. And she's everywhere. She's in your rage and she's in your joy and she's in your jealousy and she's in your uh, successes and she's in your failures. She's everywhere. She's in your graying hair. This is me now. She's in your graying hair and your drying up skin and, and your bags under your eyes. And she's in your lusciousness and she's in your juiciness and she's in your food and she's, she's everywhere. And she's never not been everywhere. You've never not been on the path. You've never not been on the trail. And you have made every step of that path by walking it. So what you may have been, and this is just true, and it's a little sad. You may have been asleep. You might have been sleepwalking through the path that you're making. And, and when we sleepwalk, first of all, it's okay. But it sometimes makes us wonder how we got to where we are. Because we haven't been conscious of the path that we're making. And again, that brings us back to power of perspective and choice. Because all we have to do, all it takes is that, that, maybe that's what gets you to yoga. Maybe that's what puts you on a yoga mat, is that tiny little moment where you wake up. And just for a second, you're not sleepwalking anymore. And just for a second, you realize, oh, I'm here from the steps that I have taken. And every step I take from here on will also take me to where I go. And that lights us up it puts it it makes us realize that we're alive so of course we come to our mats of course we move into our bodies of course we want to seek out our breath because it reminds us that we're alive but we weren't not alive before we don't wake up in yoga we just remember that we're awake The deities and heroes as maps are fascinating discoveries. And the culture from which they come is so 
I have many things I want to say about it. So rich, so intelligent, so tapped in, so connected, that they, and so creative, that they have generated the most beautiful representations of guidance and then encoded them deeply so that you learn to feel it inside yourself. And that's kind of complex and complicated. Of course it is. Because the nature of existence is complex and complicated and there's no easy paths and there's no easy ways and there's no easy spaces because to be alive is not an easy path and it's not an easy way and it's not an easy space. So why would we believe that there's ways to figure this out that are easy? So instead... The opportunity we have is to surrender. Not surrender in the sense that we just say, forget about it and walk away and be done with it all. But surrender in the way that we release into wherever we find ourselves and then look around. See what's divine about our choice. See what's spectacular about our opportunities, even when we feel there are none. Right? That's the tantric game. It's also the game of resilience. So one of the things I also love, and this is true, I think, for most pre-Christian mythologies but I I don't know all of them so I can't really say that but um, prior to Christianity the gods were terribly fallible they made mistakes all the time they had like the full spectrum of emotion they they had um, they had foibles and they had uh, they created chaos they did this over and over and over again. And the only thing that, that made them a deity was it wasn't their perfection. It was the fact that they never forgot who they were. So as, as these forms of divinity would uh, make these crazy mistakes or, or painful mistakes or have these like in, intense emotions, they would go through the processes just like a human would but they just never forgot that they were divine. That's the difference. So when Shiva's wife, do you guys know this story? When Shiva's wife, Sati, uh, she fell in love with Shiva, who was like this wild, dreadlocked, ganja-smoking he ran around with like ruffians. Like he was like the the bad boy that no parent wanted their kid to go out with. <clears throat> but she Sati fell in love with him and and her her dad was really disappointed and upset with her and so he had this huge party and he invited everybody except for her boyfriend, her husband, her husband. 
And her husband came anyway, because he's Shiva, and he's going to stop him, right? With all his crew. And when the father got upset and tried to kick him out, the daughter, uh, Sati, Shiva's wife, got so emotional that she threw herself on the fire. And she killed herself. And then Shiva scooped her up, scooped her body up from the flames, devastated by the loss of his love, and then flew around the world with her in his arms. Tell me where the perfection is in that story. Where's the, where's the, I never make any mistakes in that story. Tell me where the, the mastery of our emotions are in that story. And we're talking about Shiva and Shakti. The supreme, the para. Overtaken by emotion. Right? And then, and then there's the story of Parvati and Ganesh. You guys know Parvati and Ganesh? So Parvati was Shiva's second wife. After Sati passed, Parvati, listen, and she had to work really hard. Shiva was just going to be a widower for the rest of his life. He wasn't interested in having another wife. And Parvati, for years and years and years, did all these practices in order to get Shiva to see her and fall in love with her. And it finally worked, and he did, and they had this amazing match. But Shiva was really into being Shiva, so he would go off into the mountains and meditate for you know, in, in deity time, like eons. And Parvati got lonely. She felt left behind. And so all she could do, because she couldn't get Shiva to not do his thing, all she could do was to make a child for herself. So she, she sculpted Ganesh from the mud because she was lonely. Not because she was perfect. Not because she was powerful and able to do it, but because she was lonely. And then what did Papa do? He decides to come home, barges in, and then slices his own son's head off. Like, where is the perfection that we're trying to emulate in these stories of the deities? It's not there in Hindu Tantra. What is there is the power of perspective. What is there is the power of choice. So when Shiva realized that he'd made a really big mistake beheading his own son, he sent his, his support crew out and an elephant offered up its head so that, that Ganesha could live. And you better believe Parvati was mad. Kali rage. Right? So when we can remember that all of these things we feel have a place in our story, they're a part of our path, then nothing that we've done and nothing that we will do is a mistake. We get to reclaim it all. And we get to use how we feel, how we experienced all of that and how it turned out, the consequences of our choices to educate ourselves about whether or not we want to do it that way again. Because you don't have any more stories of Shiva chopping his other son's heads off. 
He didn't want to do that again. He took more care. He has other sons, at least one. So he took more care. He didn't make the same mistake again. He actually has three sons. Anyway, another long mythological story, which is a fantastic example of his imperfection. But that's for another day. The possibility that we have when we recognize everything we've done as a part of our path is that we get to reclaim everything. And then everything, every moment of our past becomes access to our power. And that's what the deities teach us. And when we do that, then every moment of walking is making our path. Every moment is a pilgrimage. Every moment is the opportunity to recommit to what we're devoted to, to recommit to what lights us up, to recommit to how when we light up, we light up the whole world. Here's the other thing the heroes don't do, friends. They rarely do, they rarely embark upon these journeys for self-improvement. They embark upon these journeys because in doing the hard work, they benefit everyone. So when you do the hard work, it's for more than just you making yourself better or getting what you want. When you do the hard work, it benefits everyone. When you show up as a hero in your life, everyone benefits. And that benefit isn't up to you to be judged. Sometimes benefit doesn't look like you think it should. Sometimes benefit looks like leaving the job. Having a pissed off boss or child making the hard choice. Having the pissed off parent Sometimes doing the right thing for the greater good doesn't always feel good. A hero's journey rarely always feels good. It never always feels good. The, one, the number one thing people have been saying, hey, you're walking the Camino? Oh my gosh, have fun. And I laugh. Oh sure, that's going to be fun walking over 500 miles in like 40 days, that's going to be super fun. We don't do these journeys for fun. Fun is not the point. There will be moments of fun and I hope to lean into them deeply, but fun is not the point. Right? So check in with what motivates your choices too, because those Motivations can sometimes be entry points to recognition if we're walking awake or asleep. Yeah. Let's see if there's anything I want to say. Swati said yesterday, the goddesses are not something to pray to or ask for. They're opportunities to awaken to what is and empower yourself to see it, to choose it, and receive it. The name of the resilience game is to learn to read the map, to wake up in our walk, pay attention, 
to dare to feel the stuff that feels great and the stuff that feels awful and keep showing up for it all to really live fully. That's the hero's journey. And when you go to sleep, when the sirens seduce you into their restful places of sleepwalking again, to allow that place inside of you that never forgets to wake you up. To, to push you towards remembering why you're here and what this is all about. Absolutely rest. But don't forget. And when you do forget, remember. That's the game. This podcast is only a fraction of what we do at Virabhava Yoga. To learn more about our live classes, workshops, online tantric meditation and yoga trainings, visit our website, www.virabhavayoga.com or follow us on Instagram at virabhavayoga. You can also register to attend these conversations live and download the associated asana classes by visiting virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. Don't forget to use code podcast2022 to save 15% off of anything on our website. May these conversations inspire you to explore yoga as resilience in your life. Thanks for listening.